everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're doing well, staying happy, healthy, and safe. Later in the show, we'll meet Elegance Bratton, the film director who turned his story of being a young gay man who found unexpected strength, camaraderie, and support when he joined the Marines after being rejected by his mother into a critically acclaimed film called The Inspection. It is a classic, against-all-odds story that paints a vivid picture of life inside the boot camp, the dehumanization, the violence, but also the brotherhood. The movie carefully builds the world of the boot camp, creating a palette of claustrophobia, brutality, and tension that adds layers to the telling of this survival story. More on that later on in the show. First, though, let's get to know best-selling author Ashley Audrain. Two years ago, Ashley's debut novel, The Push, became a New York Times, Sunday Times in the UK, number one international bestseller, and a Good Morning America book club pick. The psychological thriller tells the story of three generations of women who have been abused and pass along their traumas from generation to generation. Her second book, The Whispers, now available wherever fine books are sold, is a propulsive page-turner about four suburban families whose lives are changed when the unthinkable happens, and it's about what is lost when good people make unconscionable decisions. In this part of the interview, we talk about the books that made her want to write, Oprah Winfrey, and much more. Ashley Audrain joined me via Zoom. I want to start by going back uh, quite a ways. Uh, what was it about the books of Beatrix Potter that really sparked your interest in books when you were a child? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I have this real visual, this real memory of being a child and having this small, short little bookshelf in my room and having that set, you know, that, and I feel like I, I was born in 1982. And I feel like this is something that a lot of, um, a lot of kids in the eighties will remember. There was this, this very specific small white box set with these, you know, tiny little, tiny little editions. Um, and I really loved reading those. I can remember my parents reading those to me. Um, and there was something so sort of dark about those stories. <laughs> you know, they were these sort of packaged as these very, um, you know, charming sort of nursery rhyme books, but but they actually were quite dark tales. There were, you know, parents that died and, you know, characters that were lost in the woods. And um, and I, I, I really remember being sort of excited by that, you know, even as a very young kid. <laughs> yeah, I think kids really can handle a lot more darkness than we give them credit for. Yes. Uh, I grew up with Where the Wild Things Are, which is just a, a book that will torment a child, but it's so good and it's so important to me. Yes, I, I agree. I, I remember that as well. I remember reading that book too. And and I and I really am reminded of that now. I have I have kids that are five and eight, and they just want so desperately to be scared. You know, and it's it's this it's this thing like they they my my son, my eight-year-old especially, you know, we we he he's very easily sort of spooked, but he is so attracted to it. Like he really wants you to tell him something with just the right amount of scariness in it, you know. So I, I very much get that. I'm, I'm reminded of that nightly. <laughs> well, I think part of what that is, is that it gives a little dopamine rush. It gives you that little thrill, but it's in a place where you feel safe. So yes. if it's in the house or you're with you and he's with his mom, nothing terrible is going to happen, but he still gets that little bit of juice from it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so later in your love of books, it's Oprah's book club that really kept you going there. So tell me a little bit about sort of your relationship with that. Oh, 
that's, yeah, I, yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I think so fondly of those sort of reading days, I think, and it sort of does come back to sort of being, being, you know, I guess I was a, you know, a teenager at that time. And sort of, I think even then, similar to what we're saying about sort of wanting to be spooked as a kid, you sort of always want to read up, you know, you sort mm -hmm. of always want to read about um, things that are probably a bit too mature for you or story. I, I remember just being, you know, again, being like a young woman and being really fascinated by the lives of women, you know, of women who were older than I was like, like, you know, women in their late twenties and sort of that coming of age and, and then also into the thirties and motherhood and marriage. Um, I was so keenly aware that, um, that the lives of women were so complex, you know, even back then, but of course, as sort of a teenager, or a young woman, you're, you're really sort of shielded, um, from that, you know, from the, from the people around you. Like, we don't want to tell kids too much. We don't want to, we, I, adults very much, you know, hide their private lives, you know, from sort of listening ears and eyes. Um, and so there was something about those Oprah's book club picks. You know, I remember, you know, um, very, um, you know, really being excited to watch Oprah, you know, after school, as so many uh, <laughs> people in my generation were. Um, and she had, and of course she announced this book club and all of, you know, so many of the picks were about women at that stage in life, you know, fiction, many written by women, story, complex stories about women, sometimes darker stories about women. And my mom would buy the books, you know, she was a big reader. And so she would buy the books and I feel like I would always just wait for her to finish and then right. be back on the bookshelf and for, you know, my turn to kind of sneak them and read, read them. Um, so that, that was really pivotal, I think, in terms of just my attraction to fiction like that. Um, and in a really wonderful moment, sort of full circle moment that's happened in my writing life, there was a book that really stands out to me. And I think it was actually one of Oprah's first, it could be her very first book club pick. You're listening to Ashley Audrain on The Richard Krause Show. Her new novel, The Whispers, is available wherever you buy fine books. Um, it was called The Deep End of the Ocean by Jacqueline Machard. And I remember so vividly the cover it was this light blue cover and it had, it was about a child that had gone missing in a neighborhood. And there was um, like a, an artifacts of the child on the cover and it was very sort of dark and moody and I remember just really loving that book and as it turns out um that book was edited by a woman named Pam Dorman who of course who is you know iconic in publishing now but that was one of her early books and she and she um is my editor is my publisher of of the of the push and the whispers um in the U.S. so that was a really incredible moment for me when I heard she was interested in my book <laughs> so many de decades later. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about your life as a writer because, of course, you worked in publishing as well. And we'll get to that sort of in a sec. But you always wanted to write. I have a quote here from you where you say, I'd always wanted to write my own novel from the time I was a little girl. So as we were reading Beatrix Potter and then later the Oprah picks, were you, I guess, just drinking it all in and sort of learning how to tell a story by reading these books? Definitely. Yeah. I always had that in me. I, I, you know, yes. If you had have asked me when I was like, you know, seven or eight years old, what I wanted to be when I grew up, it would, it would have been a writer. It would have been a novelist for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I can remember always wanting to write, like always wanting, um, you know, my own time or spare time to be crafting stories. I remember when we got our first computer in our house, I was just obsessed with sort of writing stories, you know, on a computer or I could, you know, see the screen and print them out and edit them. I, I really loved that. Um, all forms of kind of bookmaking and storytelling was always just really, really a part of me. I, I really felt that. I really felt that from such a young age. Yeah. Well, let's talk then about the first novel, which was mm -hmm. The Push. 
becomes an international bestseller, but it had kind of humble beginnings. So from what I understand, you wrote it over the course of a couple of years uh, at a local coffee shop while you would have a babysitter come in and kind of look after things at home and you could get the relative peace and quiet, I guess, of a coffee shop uh, to work on it. So that's in a couple of steps. That's a lot of things to have happen to make it so that you can write a book. So what was it, and I think maybe you've answered the question already, but that made you so dedicated to telling this particular story? Mm, yeah, I. so I, you know, as I said, I, I had sort of always wanted to write and always felt that in me and had done, you know, night courses at, um, you know, George Brown College and Humber College and was always sort of writing, but I didn't, you know, I, I had another job. I worked in public relations and then I worked in publishing. Um, and just always felt like, well, I needed to do that because that was what was helping me make money. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it was how to, how to pay rent um, and hadn't really pursued, you know, writing a novel seriously at all. Um, and then I had my son and so that was my first child and, um, you know, was going to be on maternity leave. And as it turned out, he had, you know, fairly pretty, pretty significant health challenges. Um, and I realized at that point that I was not going to be able to kind of go back to work after maternity leave as I had planned. Um, and I, that was a hard pill to swallow, you know, at the time, because I, I really loved my job and I loved mm -hmm. working, but I, you know, so much, I mean, so much changes, you know, when you become a parent for the first time, but, but for me, that really felt like, okay, I am, I am saying goodbye to that identity as this, you know, working person in the world. And what I really want to do, it, there was all, it, there was almost sort of a permission in that, you know, because what I really wanted to do was to write. And so I sort of thought, okay, if I'm going to be home with him, if this is what I'm going to do, then, then this is what I'm going to do with the, the with whatever energy I have left in a day, right. you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so yeah, there was a there was a strange sort of permission in that, and it became this sort of opportunity to pursue that. And as you said, yes, I I could never write at home, you know, with an infant that is very hard. And there, I know there are people who can you know write during nap time or you know whatever they whatever hour they can squeeze out. I, I really had to leave the house, I think, to write this book. And so we were very lucky to have a bit of childcare every week, um, you know, a handful of hours here and there. And the babysitter would come, and I would just beeline it, you know, out the door with my laptop. <laughs> and I would, I would go to this little cafe that's no longer there, unfortunately. It's called Luna Cafe. And oh, I remember Luna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, was, it was, it was my favorite place to go, and I loved writing there. And I wrote uh, definitely the whole first draft of the push, and did a lot of revisions of the push there too. Um, but yeah, that was really sacred time, you know, to, to forget, even though I was writing about motherhood, it was forgetting about my own experience of motherhood, you know, and, and really just doing the thing I'd always wanted to do at, at this time of real rebirth, you know, in a sense of, uh, for myself. Yeah. Well, I imagine that it was in some ways therapeutic for you or cathartic in some way, uh, given the situation at home and then you get to write it now, it's a different story, but you're, you're working it out maybe on the page in a way that a lot of people don't get or don't have the ability to do. I think that's exactly right. And I think, um, I think at the time it was like, I, you know, I, the, my experience of motherhood, you know, was so different, obviously, than the experience of this character in the push of life. Um, but, but there, there really was that sense of going to the darker side of motherhood. Mm. And, and, the, and I think what was really going through my mind was about expectation, you know, this expectation that we have as women, um, you know, of what motherhood should be like and look like and feel like what we're supposed to say about it. You know, all of those things I was very much experiencing, you know, as a, as a mother of a child who was so sick. Um, and so that, that I think is certainly translated to the page with the push, um, you know, Blythe has an experience of motherhood that is, you know, very far from the ideal and very far from what she is told it will be. And she has to really reckon with that. 
um, in a very different way. But yeah, I think there, there's a lot of that personal energy, I think, in this book. In the writing of The Push, you learned, I think, a very important lesson. And it came from kind of an unusual source. So you showed your first draft to your partner, your husband, I guess, as the first reader. And he said, well, you know, I I, I liked it, but there's about 75% of it that doesn't need to be there. And now tell me a little bit about that. Yes, that's right. Oh gosh, <laughs> I almost forgot about that now. Yes, you're right. So I, you know, my partner who's, you know, wonderful, um, very supportive, was hugely supportive, you know, of me writing and and pursuing this, um, but does not have, you know, any background whatsoever in <laughs> in the arts, in fiction right. and any of that, you know, wouldn't wouldn't even pick up this kind of book, you know, to read. So um, and I think oftentimes that happens in our personal relationships, you know, even though that person is not an expert in the thing we are doing, we often look to them as the most mm -hmm. trusted voice. You know, it's this funny dynamic, I think, that that a lot of us have in, in relationships like that. Um, but so I had I, you know, been working forever on it and was really, you know, was, was proud of it, but but knew it wasn't quite there. But yes, I had shown it to him as the first reader. And at this point, I was very pregnant with our second. Um, so I'd been writing for, for a couple of years by then. And I, I, I had this vision of me sort of having done this draft and then I was going to have the baby and then I was going to, you know, work on the draft a bit more and then be ready to kind of send it out to agents and sort of go on the process. Um, and he, yeah, he had read it and he had, and, you know, I, I sort of was waiting for this, the feedback from him and he had suggested well, you know, why don't we go out for lunch and talk about it? Sort of, because he knew he knew this was going to be a big blow and how to deliver it. And you know, so we'd gone to lunch and um, back to Luna Cafe. Actually, I can remember the exact time and you know, with our with our other little one. And and yeah, and that was his feedback. Was I know you're not going to want to hear this, and it's very hard to say it. And who am I to say? But you know, my feeling is that about seventy five percent of this you can cut and just focus on this twenty five percent that's left, which was you know, the darkness, Blythe story, um, all of that sort of maternal exploration. Um, I had a whole bunch of other, you know, stuff happening in this book. And he could just feel from reading it that that was where the heart and soul of the book was. Um, and uh, that was a very tough conversation. I was really angry with him after I can tell you. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm never showing him my work again. I'm never going to for an opinion again. But, you know, I sat with that and he was absolutely right. And what I needed to do was chop all of the stuff I, you know, thought I should be writing about and really write about this story of life and this darker side of it. And so I, I built that 25%, you know, into the rest of the book, into what the push is today. Um, so I, it really was the best advice I ever got, but the hardest. <laughs> the hardest. Well, I, I guess that's when you learn that the, or you really learn that the art of rewriting is the art of writing. You're ab yeah. absolutely right. It really is. And that, I think that's a tough thing for every writer to learn um, and continue to learn. But it, it is so true. It is so true that that is where the book come, really begins to sing and comes to life. It is all in the revision for sure. Yeah. So were you doing much reading when you were working at Mark's Work Warehouse? <laughs> Your research is impeccable. That, is so <laughs> that was my first job. Yeah, Mark's Work Warehouse. And I, you know, I was, I'm sure I was furiously reading in those days. But I, yes, I had a job um, selling work boots, <laughs> selling work boots on the floor oh. of Mark's Work Warehouse. 
Um, and I loved that job. I had a friend um, in school and her dad was a manager of the store. And so he had given both of us our very first jobs. Um, and I just, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. In market in Newmarket, Ontario. Right? But, and, and you have your own money for the first time. So you could buy more books and do whatever you want. There's a real freedom that comes with that, I think. There is. And that's exactly what I would have spent my money on in those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Ashley Audrain on The Richard Krauss Show. Her new novel, The Whispers, is available now wherever you buy fine books. Now let's talk about uh, your characters. Uh, we're talking about the book now, The Whisperers, which is the, the second book. Uh, it presumably was not written at a, a cafe. Maybe it was, I don't know, but things have changed. The first book came out, the push came out and became so huge that it, I mean, it must have blown your hair back a little bit. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it, it did. I, I It was a, such a strange time because there, there actually was quite a long lead up um, to the point where I, I sold the I sold two books together. So it was this idea of the second, you know, in addition to the first book. And, and there was quite a long lead up, I think 18 months from the time that I had got this book deal to the time the push came out. So I, you know, in that was, of course, revising and revising the push. But I also had time to start the whispers, I think, before the push came out, which was a very good thing. Um, to at least get that one very bad first draft. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I had sort of a start on it. But then, of course, um, as it turned out, you know, the push came out in January 2021. And we can all we don't want to remember those days, but they were, you know, in the in the thick of the pandemic um, and, you know, in lockdown and all of kids at home and, you know, all of that. So that that was a challenging time just to be, you know, to be promoting a book, you know, in multiple countries, um, basically from the kitchen table, you know, the, the whole time. Um, but I, I really and shortly after that, I did have to turn my attention back to writing The Whispers. And you're right, there, there was no cafe to go to to write at that time, which was sort of my, you know, my normal routine. Um, and so what I, 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 I have, you know, to be honest, I really struggled, you know, during that time, I sometimes I read accounts of authors who say the pandemic gave them this wonderful motivation to write or, you know, they were inspired to, you know, but I didn't, I did not feel that. I found it very difficult um, with very little creative energy left in those mm. days. But I, I would wake up at 5 a.m. every day and try to write for at least a couple hours until I could hear the little pitter patter of feet coming right. down the stairs and everyone was awake and it was screens on for homeschooling and all of that. Um, so it was, it, that was hard. I, that, that was hard for sure. Well, I would say that the lockdown was difficult. Uh, well, I know it was difficult for me. I'll tell you, it was in my uh, limited life as a writer mm -hmm. in that I wasn't getting the kind of uh, outside stimulation that I think you need. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I write probably five movie reviews a week. Uh, I've, you know, I've written a bunch of books, articles and that kind of thing. And in between each of those things, you have to have something happen to you just to keep the, the sparks going. I and it didn't really more. during lockdown. I could not agree more. I, I think that's right. I felt I, I'm the same way. I sort of I collect a lot from my life, you know, from nothing direct, you know, from people. But but you have all these conversations that spark a thought, that spark another thought, or you have an interaction with somebody, or you're eavesdropping, you know, on somebody in the lineup at the grocery store. Or there's all kinds of things that happen, you know, in your day that you almost just take for granted as soon as you, you know, when, when you have it, when you have it so freely like we did. Um, and you're right. I, I really found that too. I found a real lack of inspiration, like a, a almost like idea generation sort of felt a little dead, mm -hmm. you know, at that time. So yeah, I, I definitely felt that too. And, and was very, 
relieved when it, you know, slowly you can kind of have a little bit of, you know, creative mental stimulation again yeah. in the world eventually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that your early uh, interest in reading books, uh, particularly around the Oprah book club mm. time, was stories of women, stories of women that were a little older than you, you could, I guess, aspirational in some ways, and, and just learning about their lives. And uh, in both your books, in The Push and The Whisperers, uh, there are such well-drawn uh, female characters. Uh, in this one, you've got uh, Whitney. She's a, a, a working parent. Uh, there's Blair, who's a stay-at-home parent. There's Rebecca, who wants to have a baby, but there's lots preventing that from happening. I don't know how much we give away here. Uh, Mara has a neurodivergent son. So there's all sorts of uh, elements at play in each of these people's lives. So tell me a little bit about creating these uh, very complex, but I think completely relatable uh, characters for a novel like The Whisperers. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I. It's interesting with with the push. I was really focused on you know the single voice, you know the single mm -hmm. voice of life, and she was obviously you know at, at the stage in life where she was just making these decisions, you know, to get married and have a baby. And with the whispers, I wanted to write about. Um, well, a, I wanted to try something that was more perspective, like multiple voices. Um, and I and I also wanted to write about women who are at just that slightly different point in life, a point in, in life that I think is so interesting. And probably because I am at that point in life myself, but having just turned 40. But it's it's that sort of it's that space in life, I think, where um, and I'll speak, you know, specifically about women here that, you know, you you spend your 30s you spend your 20s sort of very focused on yourself, you know, your career, like you're taking care of your own needs, kind of, you know, your social life, that sort of thing. And then your 30s tend to be very devoted to making these decisions that set up this life ahead of mm -hmm. you. You know, you are choosing a partner if you haven't already. You are you are deciding where to live. You're feeling more established and committed to your career. Um, you're deciding about a family and what that might look like for you. And, and all of these decisions are sort of, you know, made one after the other. Um, and there's a real energy and a real excitement to that. And, and then I think you hit your forties and you're sort of at this point in life where for the first time, you're just sort of living with those decisions, you know, you're sort of, you're sort of seeing, seeing how that really feels. And, and I think what's so interesting for a lot of women is that, you know, sometimes you're happy with, you know, with, with how that turned out and how that feels. But I think a lot of women really start to think, huh, like, where did I go? you know, and how did I get here? You know, yeah. there, there's a, re it, I think it can be very hard to feel a strong sense of self at that time um, because you have given so much to others and you've, you know, making dis made decisions that come with a lot of, you know, consequence or a lot of sacrifice. Um, and I think, it, you know, so we sort of think of that time in life as sort of this midlife crisis, you know, whatever that looks like for, you know, different generations and, and men and women. Um, but I wanted to write about that. I wanted to write about that point where women are sort of looking around thinking, okay, here's where I'm at. Why don't I recognize myself anymore? What do I need to do to get back there? And, and the difference between a woman who says, yeah, I'm going to make some really terrifying decisions because my intuition tells me to, no matter what the consequence is, versus the woman who says, um, I know that I have intuition about certain things in my life, whether it's your children or your relationship or, you know, friendship. Um, but the consequence of listening to that is is too scary to listen to. So I'm going to sacrifice, you know, my own desires for just the good of a family or the good of kind of keeping a life together. Um, so those are the sort of the mindsets that I was really interested in writing about with this book. You're listening to Ashley Audrain on The Richard Krause Show. Her new novel, The Whispers, is available wherever you buy fine books. And the book really is uh, pushed forward by one yes. event. And 
are we telling people what that event is? There, there's a, a tragedy that happens. There's, yeah. a, there's something terrible that happens that sort of interweaves these four families uh, and their histories and current lives and everything else. And uh, it's complex. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot going on here. So tell me a little bit just about the writing of that. I often see writers, I don't do it myself, but you'll see writers, they have either, mm -hmm. a, either a whiteboard behind them or <laughs> all those little sticky notes stuck to the wall behind them and little arrows and things. Uh, when you're writing a book of this complexity, do you do that or does it all just in your head? It's really funny you say that. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to be the kind of writer who had like a beautiful color-coded sticky note yeah. wall, <laughs> but I just have not, I've not been that. But yeah. no, I think for this book, you're right. They're, they're really, I wanted to write something that felt like a tangled web, you know, that felt like everyone's threads were tangled up and that the characters didn't really know how they were tangled until this tragedy happens. And then it's like a thread pulled yeah. and everyone starts to realize kind of the ways in which they're connected. Um, that was sort of the the structural idea that I kind of had for the book. I, I wanted to go from sort of one perspective to the next um, to sort of see what how everyone was experiencing, you know, this one tragedy that happens. So, yeah, in terms of the actual like how to do that, I mean, I, I really I really just sort of had it in my head and and went from there, which was messy. I will say it was very messy. I, I think I, I probably could have saved myself a lot of time if I had some more structure in place. But I really wanted it to feel a little more organic. And I, mm -hmm. as a writer, I really like to leave room to be surprised by what what comes up. And I think because I think if as a writer, if you're surprised by what comes up, then the reader will be too. You know, I, I feel like I, I really believe in kind of re leaving some room for that. Um, so I didn't plot it out very much. Um, although, although I will say again, I, I think when you, I think the, the consequence of doing that is that in revisions, you, you do end up really kind of, you know, digging and kind of doing some foundational stuff, but I, I think it's sort of worth it, you know, in the end. Um, and then I will say because of those four voices, you know, when I wrote it, I, I went chronologically, you know, through time in the book. Um, but then in revisions, I would revise one person at a time. Right. Um, to try to make sort of their character stronger and make things a little more consistent with them. And, and probably keep it straight in your own head as well while, while yes, you're doing that. Exactly. Yeah. And so how does it feel uh, when you read something like this that I found online the other day? Uh, here it is. Uh, when a debut novel of an author is that good that everyone, everything else they write simply becomes an auto buy dot oh. dot dot. How does that make you feel? Oh, that's so nice to hear. I mean, that that's the dream, right? That's yeah. the dream as a as a writer to feel like um like your readers trust you and that they're willing to go on a journey again with you, you know, no matter what that is. That's a real dream to hear. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Ashley, congratulations on all the success and the new novel. And uh, are there movies coming? There must be movies coming. There is. Um, there hopefully is a limited series coming with the push, which will wow. be exciting. Which yeah, yes, yeah. I'll be. I'll be sure to share that news with you of all Absolutely. people. Absolutely, <laughs> please do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so congratulations on it all. This was such a great interview, and one of my first. And this is my second interview for the Whispers, and it was just—it was so great. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I've been listening to you for years on radio oh. and watching you on TV. And I, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh well, thank you so much. You. Yeah, that was Ashley Audrain on the Richard Krause Show. Her new novel, The Whispers, is available wherever you buy fine books.
In this segment, we'll meet Elegance Bratton, the film director who turned his story of being a young gay man who found unexpected strength, camaraderie, and support when he joined the Marines after being rejected by his family into a critically acclaimed film called The Inspection. It is a classic against all odds story that paints a vivid picture of life inside the boot camp, the dehumanization, the violence, but also the brotherhood. The movie carefully builds the world of the boot camp, creating a palette of claustrophobia, brutality, and tension that adds layers to the telling of his survival story. I spoke with Elegance Bratton via Zoom. To what extent is this film an accurate uh, a portrayal of your life? It's such an extraordinary story. This movie is 100% autobiographical when it comes to the hopes, fears, the desires, the primary motivations of Ellis French. Even if it's not a situation I've personally been in. However, the stuff between his mother is 100% out of my life. Um, even, but even that is, you know, if you if you have a long enough relationship with someone, you can have the same argument for 10 years. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm kind of condensing the ter- major turning points of that argument into <laughs> this particular storyline. But yeah, you know, and, and I think a lot of times with the autobiographical film, people are assuming that it's a simple process of recollection. You know, you remember what happened to you at 19, you write it down, you get some money, you hire a crew, you shoot it. That's not really what it is. Uh, For me, this is a process of excavating the emotional truth of the events. And in that regard, I have to think about the impact of what particular moment in my life has had for me versus the actual factual of what's going on, right? And I, and I think in most kind of trauma studies, it's proven, you know, as the brain is trying to remember, it's rewriting in real time. So I try to lean into that. And my, and my background is from a documentary background as well. So often in that, in that world of interview kind of driven films, the lies that people tell you, the, th- the inventions that they have sometimes more are more true than the particular thing that happened you know right. so it's that's an emotional truth it's an emotional truth the essence of emotional truth that's kind of like the the journey that i'm on as a as a writer and director you had been cut adrift from your family before that mm-hmm. uh, you were living in homeless shelters there's there's mm-hmm. much backstory here but would mm-hmm. you say that when you entered the marines and made it through boot camp that you found or I guess the question is, what strength did you find kind of embedded within you that perhaps you hadn't realized before? Um, I think, you know, for me, this whole movie is about an interrogation of, of masculinity and the limitations of masculinity and hopefully suggesting the possibilities of a new masculinity. Um, one of my favorite writers is Simone de Beauvoir. And in the second sex, she says that one is not born a woman, one becomes a woman. And I think that that is the same truth for men. And the Marine Corps is like the Harvard of masculinity, (laughs) you know? And um, so when you ask what is the source of the strength, what is the strength I discovered? I think one of the things I want to suggest is the possibility that forgiveness can be a source of strength. Because for me, forgiveness is the source of my strength. Alice French is a character who does not give up on people. Right. And that that refusal to give up on others results in a refusal to give up on himself. And I think that is 
not only I think it's intentionally instructive, right? This is what I believe is the essence of, of, of hope and possibility for the times that we live in. You know, when I joined the Marine Corps, I joined after 10 years spent on the streets. I felt completely worthless, that my life had no value, meaning, or purpose. And then I had was fortunate enough to have a drill instructor tell me that that was all a lie, that my life was important because I had a responsibility to protect the Marine to my left and to my right. And that implied trust of that responsibility was transformational for me. I held on to that and I ran with it from the homeless shelter to boot camp to this interview right now. You're listening to Elegance Bratton on The Richard Krause Show. His film, The Inspection, is available on Apple TV+. And that's why I made the film. I want to, in a, in a time where I feel the world globally is becoming way more polarized, I wanted to offer that all of us are important because we all are interconnected. And French is the vessel through which you know this film hopefully achieves that goal. Well, stories and storytelling in films are little empathy machines, I think. Mm -hmm. If we see someone's story, uh, your story is much different than mine, uh, but we can share the stories and we start to understand one another better. And I think that Mm -hmm. probably is the true importance of a a film like this, is that it gives us a window into a different world. Thank you for saying that. Um, Yeah, and and I wholeheartedly agree. You know, um, when French arrives at boot camp, he believes that he is weak because he is gay and he could never live up to the standard of what being a, a good Marine, a perfect Marine and a good man could be. And as he goes through boot camp, he discovers that he's not the only man who can't measure up to this standard, that in fact, they've all been given an impossible task, mm-hmm. how to become a man, right? And each one of them, each one of these characters, in the process of discovering that they're insecure about their place and everything, French deploys what I like to call, you know, radical and defiant empathy, right? I will meet you where you're weak, and I will then offer you my strength to be strong, you know? And I think that is, the, the, the possibility of that in our world is, is, it, it fills me with hope. You know, I'm ultimately an optimistic person and French is an optimistic person as a result. Do you sometimes sit and shake your head as you're sitting in a hotel room talking about this film, knowing where you began and all the way up through to today? Yes. Yes. I was, I was on the view yesterday morning and I got a chance. I mean, I've, I've, I've met Whoopi Goldberg yeah. once before and ended up like just a complete shaking, crying mess. Just, <laughs> she just, she just everything to me. But I got a chance to be in the view yesterday. And um, yeah, it's surreal <laughs> at a certain point. Cause when I was living this, I was, I really felt like I was the only person in the world that would care about this, you know? And to have gone through that journey of not only learning to care about myself, but learning to care and value my story to see it resonate in this way on this side of it. You know, it's, it's, it's so incredibly affirming and, um, and I'm so very grateful for it, you know, and that's what, that's why I had to make this my first film. You know, I made this movie for anybody who's ever felt disregarded, anyone who's ever felt uh, downtrodden, um, who's been told that they're not enough. 
I want them to watch this movie and by the end of it, know that they're enough, you know, and, and know that they, they matter because they have a responsibility to protect the person to their left and to their right. And that makes them important on its own without any other justification. And that's exciting to share that message. That was Elegance Bratton on The Richard Krause Show. His movie, The Inspection, is on Apple TV Plus now. Big thanks to Elegance for sharing his inspiring story with us. Also, a big thanks to best-selling author Audrey Ardrain. If you've already read her first book, The Push, and even if you haven't, check out the new one, The Whispers. It's a page-turner that sees a tragic family event cause the family's neighbors to reckon with their own roles in the misfortune. Better yet, pick up both of the books up. They're both fantastic and available wherever you buy fine books. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) 